and welcome to Obscure Mystery, the show where we dig deeper about obscure members of history, most specifically, obscure women. I'm Emily DeYoung, and today's episode is about one of my favorite lesser-known members of royalty, well-read tomboy, Queen Christina Vasa of Sweden. This episode will only cover Christina's birth through abdication, because frankly, if it covered her entire life, this episode would go on for too long. Christina was the first ever queen of Sweden, and technically ruled for about 20 years since her father died in 1632. She was officially crowned, however, on November 6, 1644, ruling for 10 years until she abdicated on June 6, 1654. She was the daughter of Gustavus Adolphus, arguably one of Sweden's most important and influential leaders ever seen in the history of Sweden. Because she lived in the shadow of her father, Queen Christina is a truly obscure woman of history, therefore making her a wonderful topic for this podcast. Christina's parents were King Gustavus Adolphus of Sweden and Maria Eleonora of Brandenburg. Gustavus at the time had already begun to show his military prestige and was doing rather well in his life. However, at the time of Christina's birth, Maria had not such a great life up to this point. Maria was a German princess who decided to marry a young Swedish prince, and therefore she had to move to Sweden, a cold, uncultured, uninviting land at the time. When she moved, she had trouble adjusting because she had to leave her friends and her family behind in Germany, leaving her with one sole friend, her new husband. Needless to say, she became clingy. Maria Eleonora was one of the most devoted wives to her husband, and at some times, some can even say, too devoted. She went crazy and insisted she stay by his side as much as possible, giving him no space at all to attend important matters alone. Constantly, she would ask about where he was and when he would return from the wars that he fought, and when he would return, there was no separating her from him. She was willing to give him everything, which is why she sprung at the chance of giving him an heir to the Swedish throne. Prior to Christina's birth, Gustavus and Maria Eleonora had a miscarriage, as well as a child, which they also named Christina, who died early in infancy. Fears of the inability to conceive set the royal couple on edge, because they needed to produce an heir as soon as possible for the future of Sweden. Originally, it was prophesied by fortune tellers that the two would have a boy. However, such as any good movie script, that is not exactly what happened. Queen Christina was born on December 18, 1626. When Christina was born, she was born inside of a birth call, or basically inside of a thin membrane. Usually babies are born without this membrane, with a 1 in 80,000 chance to be born in one. However, Christina was that one. Now, even stranger than the birth call is that when she was born, the midwives dubbed her a boy. Some historians say that this mix-up was due to the fact that they were so hoping for a boy and therefore imagined it. However, some like to attribute this to the possibility of Christina having ambiguous genitalia, or in simpler terms, that she could have been intersex. Of course, everyone, especially Maria Eleonora, was elated to have a boy because there was no living heir at the time. Parties and music was played in triumph, and it seemed like the whole of Sweden was celebrating with the family for a few hours. But when Christina's sex was truly determined, a hush fell over the midwives. Nobody wanted to be the one to have to break the news to the royal family, especially to the king. 
After the long debate about who would be the one to deliver the news, they decided that the best thing to do was to deliver baby Christina, all swaddled up, to King Gustavus's bedchamber for him to determine the sex himself. According to legend, as well as Christina's likely biased biography, when the king found out about this mistake, he took it with dignity and then very calmly declared that this girl will be worth to me as much as a boy. According to Christina's retelling, Gustavus Adolphus was said to have expressed, Let us thank God, sister. I hope that this daughter will take the place of a son, and I pray God, who gave her to me, to have her ever in his keeping, and that she is going to be clever, for she has fooled us all. Whether or not that phrase was actually said, it was a great descriptor of how her life would be growing up, because she was, in fact, raised as a boy. By raised as a boy, I mean that from a young age, Christina was taught the skills that a boy would usually be taught. Christina was taught how to ride horses, hunt, and to become a swordsman, and she loved it. Although, as a child, she was dropped and therefore had a deformity of her shoulder blade, it was commented that she could fence just as well as a man, if not better. Growing up, we see that ever since she was little, she always seemed to gravitate towards more stereotypically boyish activities, and although her mother, Maria Eleonora, pushed femininity on her, she pushed back twice as hard. Growing up, Christina was said to have been a bright child, just as her father was, and she took to her academic training quickly, just as she did with her boyish activities. It was said that Christina knew about seven languages fluently over the course of her lifetime, and it was said that when she died, she was working on, but not completely fluent in, a few others. Christina always seemed to look up to her father while looking down on her mother. Maria Eleonora did not have the fondest feelings towards her daughter, likely because she was very disappointed in the fact that she did not and could not give her husband a son. These feelings of mother-daughter hatred only worsened when Gustavus Adolphus died in 1632. When Gustavus died, Maria Eleonora went even more bonkers than before. She was practically alone without her beloved husband, and stuck with the child that she hated and called ugly on the regular, so she did the only natural thing to do, I guess, and had Gustavus's body and heart, which was in a separate glass box at the time, shipped back to Sweden. Like a completely normal person, Maria made Christina kiss her father's cadaver every morning, an act which rightfully disturbed Christina and made her hate her mother even more especially the things that she stood for, such as femininity. Although Gustavus did love his wife, he did realize that, in fact, she wasn't the most sane person to rule the country, and therefore, after his death, he arranged that Christina be removed from her mother and brought up by his trusted friend, Chancellor Oxenscherna. Some may argue that because Christina was raised further on by only men, it additionally pushed Christina to avoid things seen as more typically feminine. Christina is even so documented to say that women are weak in soul and body and mind, and if there have been a few strong women, well, that's not because they were women. A quote which may confuse anyone thinking Christina was a wonderfully feminist woman for the time. She was not a feminist at all. She did not even wish to be associated with the idea of being a woman. Although she did not want to be associated with being a woman, Christina was associated with women. Christina is historically speculated to have been romantically involved with her favorite and royal bedwarmer, her belle Ebba Spar. You might be wondering, as I did, how common the name Ebba is in Sweden because it's virtually unheard of in the States, but upon further research, the name is actually quite common and is currently on the list of the 10 most chosen first names for a baby girl in Sweden. 
Christina was additionally rumored to have been involved with Charlotte de Breggy, and because Christina very famously refused to marry, many Swedish citizens at the time began rumors that the reason she would not marry is because Christina was a lesbian. There are many different opinions on this, however, it did seem that Christina did have meaningful and possibly romantic relationships with men at the time as well, such as Charles Gustav or Magnus Gabriel, and she could have chosen to get married to them. However, it seems as if Christina had decided that she was just not marriage material. Throughout these rumors, Christina did not cease her studies. She fell in love with philosophy, then history, then astrology, then alchemy, and even music and dance. With her strong mind, she left an impression on anyone who met her, and because of her strong affinity for academics, it didn't take long for her to become infatuated with the writings of Descartes. Christina and Descartes had struck up a long-time letter correspondence while Christina was interested in his ideas on philosophy. However, when other duties became more pressing, she effectively ignored letters from Descartes for over a year. When, finally, she did respond to these letters, she tried to make up for the 15 months she didn't respond to him by inviting him to Sweden. Now, as mentioned before, Sweden wasn't the most welcoming place. It was very cold during the winter, and for a 50-year-old at the time, Descartes thought it was better to just stay in his home on a little island near the Netherlands where nobody would bother him. However, Christina did not take no for an answer. She sent troops all the way to the island to collect him, and Descartes had no choice but to go along with it. Once in Sweden, Descartes was rarely talked to. Christina did make a big deal about his arrival, however, she did not have the time to hang around with Descartes, and Descartes began to think of himself as more ornamental than useful to Her Majesty. Christina, of course, being a little self-centered, did not care. When she finally made the time to see Descartes and get lessons from him, it was at five in the morning in a non-central, non-heated area of the palace. For some reason, it did not occur to Christina that when she invited Descartes to her freezing homeland and asked him to tutor her at five in the morning in the freezing Swedish winter time, that a 50-year-old man might get the flu and then later die because of it. Well, this is exactly what happened to Descartes. He died after contracting pneumonia, which I cannot help but see as partly Christina's fault in a way. Christina, however, did throw a very large funeral in his honor, which I think was a kind gesture to the man that she so ignored when she was alive. Additionally, she had Descartes buried with the intention of getting him a headstone, but this idea never came to fruition, so there lay Descartes with only a plank of wood that essentially said, here's Descartes. After a while, it became time for Christina to be officially crowned as Queen of Sweden. In 1644, when Christina was 18 and finally old enough to take the official title of Queen, she made sure that everybody would see how important she was. Christina's coronation was insanely ornate. She wore a 12-foot-long purple velvet coronation robe trimmed with pearls and laden with circles of solid gold crowns. This robe was insanely expensive, and parts and pieces of it was later on sold to make ends meet in the future. Christina decorated her palace with tapestries displaying important moments in Swedish history, and she ordered three grand arches be built all in the Roman style to decorate the palace. The procession to the coronation was again ornate. Christina drove into the city in an open carriage drawn by six white horses, and beside it walked sixty young noblemen, all dressed in yellow. Her own horse followed her, unridden, wearing a beautiful saddle. After her horse, Christina's mother followed, followed by six camels, reindeer, and mules. Additionally, there was a fight staged for entertainment between a bear, a lion, a calf, a horse, and a buffalo. Christina herself was in attendance. 
Reportedly, the lion chased the calf, the bear chased the lion, the buffalo butted the bear, and the horse kicked it. The calf fled, the lion turned on the bear, and a satisfying struggle ensued. The bear's roars were louder than the lion's, so the lion was recaged, and the horse and the buffalo rounded up. The bear, which certainly had the worst of it, salvaged its dignity by washing itself off in a pool in the middle of the arena. It was agreed that the lion had made a very poor showing. After Christina's insanely ornate coronation, it did not take her long for her to decide that she wanted to abdicate. They were still paying off her velvet coronation robe when Christina had decided to leave the Kingdom of Sweden to her cousin and longtime friend, Charles Gustav. Christina had an elaborate coronation and then tried to abdicate a year and a half later. However, Chancellor Oxtenscherna would not let her. Christina's likely reason for wanting to abdicate was because she was heavily questioning Protestantism and wanted to convert to Catholicism. This would not fly in Sweden with Sweden being a very strictly Protestant nation. Even talking to a Catholic could get her in trouble. Christina also strongly did not want to get married, and if she abdicated, she would not have to worry about being forced to. At the time, Christina seemed to see Catholicism as a beautiful religion, thinking that it would save her from having to fulfill a role of being the ideal Lutheran childbearing wife. Christina was additionally having a lot of trouble financing Sweden, and she had dug a deep hole for herself when she doubled the number of nobles in Sweden through granting titles for money. Christina did eventually get the opportunity to abdicate, as she had wished, and she did so while wearing the same velvet robe that she had been coronated in. Underneath the robe she wore all white, purposely juxtaposed with her successor, Charles Gustav, wearing all black. When removing the crown, Christina had to firmly instruct her courtiers to remove it multiple times, seeing as that nobody wanted to. Finally, after the crown was removed, she was left in a plain white dress. Christina's father's longtime friend and pseudo-father figure, Chancellor Oxtenscherna, did not live long after Christina's abdication. Both Christina's leaving and the Chancellor's death was truly a grievous blow to the kingdom. This, however, was a turning point for the ready 27-year-old. It seems like Christina's departure was fit for one of the finest soap operas. As she fled before the clock had struck midnight to Stockholm, she had no second guesses. After making final preparations, she left. She cast off her dress and turned to her preferred style of dress, men's clothing and a sword, paired with a new haircut which reflected the men's style of dress at the time. Christina was finally free to be who she was, worship as she wanted, and to live her life the way that she wanted. And with that, that concludes my episode on Queen Christina's birth through abdication. Before I go, I'd like to say thank you to my two capstone mentors, Adele Virgis and Leticia Wiggins, for answering all my questions and helping me with research. Also, I'd like to say thank you to Sophie Gallucci and Jesse Price for helping me with getting a microphone and teaching me how to use it for this podcast. Thank you so much. Without you guys, I couldn't have done it. I hope you enjoyed.